they might be telling some workers one thing and telling some workers another. So we suggest trying to get everybody who, like all the workers on the, on, on a sort of same page in terms of what, what's been accepted, uh, expected of them uh, in terms of coming back and sort of to maybe challenge some of the things that are being suggested to them. And then for those who are not necessarily as comfortable doing that sort of thing, like we, we are just people to get in contact with Better Zero and then we can go into that group chat with them and sort of help maybe make some suggestions or, or, or challenge some of the things that are, are, uh, are being suggested to them. On this week's podcast, we have Tom Wilson, um, a representative of the Better Than Zero union, um, affiliated with the STUC. Um, we asked Tom in this week because as we begin the process of heading out of lockdown, we believe that you know workers' rights and the potential for things like redundancy and a squeeze on conditions is a real concern. We want to make sure that you know we're doing our part to put as much useful information out there as possible. Um, so we did discuss what you can do in the event of potential redundancy, lacks of PPE, poor conditions, um, and just want to really take a bit of time to thank Tam for his time because the information he's got is absolutely vital. So hello and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. Um, this week's guest is Tam, I didn't catch your surname, Wilson, uh, Tam Wilson. Tam, Tam Wilson, I. Zoom comes in handy for something, eventually. Well, <laughs> I would have done it here and sold yourself at first. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's enabling a podcast, I suppose, it's, it's been good for a lot of things. But um, Tam, you work for Better Than Zero, um, yeah. I, and it would have been interested, we've been talking to you for a wee while to get you on and text messages backwards and forwards as it goes with guests but I think now is a very very poignant time to get you to come on and talk about like some workers stuff and um, I know that the campaign was the campaign initially about zero hour contracts um, well the, like, the initial focus was on zero hour contracts it's, it's been more broadly about precarious work in general and sort of low hour contracts but like the zero hour contracts part of it was the sort of the hook in because there was a bit of conversation about them, so uh, it's kind of expanded a bit over time. But uh, I was initially sort of focused on zero and low hour contracts. So, and how long's better than zero been been kicking about for now? Uh, so, I think we're now into our, our, our fifth year. Um, so, I've only I've only worked for the for the project since since last September, but um, I was involved as like an activist prior to then. But yeah, that's that's five years now. It's been it's been going. Um, are there um, any sort of campaigns that we would be aware of that have happened in that time? Well, see, so Better Than Zero started, it sort of came off the back of the Scottish independence referendum. Yep. So obviously there's an increased discussion about politics and society, particularly within young people and about the society that they envisioned and sort of what they wanted from the future. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, the idea behind the Better Than Zero campaign was to sort of harness some of that energy and sort of focusing it into trade union rights, workplace rights, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. it does, obviously, it doesn't have a position on Scottish independence. It's not about that at all, but it was just sort of trying to utilise that. And um, so what, like, what it's done over the last number of years is sort of sort of elevated the concerns of people on these low-paid low contracts. Um, Which so some of the can predominantly be young people in a lot of cases. The, the vast majority. I mean, our focus initially was kind of on hospitality. It's expanded beyond that now, but mm-hmm. uh, initially it was was in hospitality. One of the the first big ones that sort of got some public attention was the was the G one case. 
Um, so there was obviously a lot of uh, a lot of goings on at a lot of the, the different G1 uh, venues up and down Scotland. Um, yeah. uh, for those who don't know, there's a couple of places in Glasgow, some in St Andrews, some in Edinburgh and stuff as well. Um, yeah. And the issues that were raised there were from workers not getting their tips, uh, zero-hour contracts, low pay, not getting the pay that they deserved, et cetera, et cetera. So that was like one of the main ones initially that sort of put Better Zero on the map. Uh, in terms of like sort of challenging some of these practices mm, um, and I think yeah. as we go into talking about following stuff it's no surprise that you had a campaign against Stefan King's G1 group and then they were amongst the bastards as we, we could put it um, I think in the early weeks I we were definitely I was it, we, were, we were jokingly referring to them as like the client of the week with the Bransons and stuff like that aye absolutely I mean some of the stuff that happened was absolutely despicable but um so you're fighting a good fight mate like what what made you get involved um so i mean i actually so i'm now a proud trade unionist i mean so better zero is a part of the the stuc which is the scottish trade union congress but i mean i didn't actually have that much knowledge of of what trade unions were and what they were for so it was actually the better zero campaign that kind of brought me into uh into the trade union movement and into sort of campaigning on these sort of things I sort of became politically active during the Scottish independence referendum and then afterwards kind of exactly what Better Than Zero intended to do, sort of harness that energy and put it, sort of focused it onto into like workplace rights and, and, and stuff like that. So I mean it's been a it's been a long journey over the last five five years, but uh I it's been it's it was it was the actions of Better Than Zero, the sort of interest in taking uh, the fact that they didn't couch everything in sort of traditional trade union language or, or, or overly bureaucratic trade union language and sort of made it easy to digest and easy to mm-hmm. see, like, ah, you want to get involved, you recognise these are issues, well, on you come, here's a, here's a campaign that you can get involved in, here's a, here's a stall that you can help run or what have you. So, yeah, uh, that's the type of thing that I'm particularly interested in is sort of like a politically motivated sort of change aiming campaign but on a level that I can understand because I don't really know that much about the deeper side of politics do you know what I mean and I think that that's probably like things look better than zero it sounds like are really good at getting people and getting them involved so that, that's cool to hear um, we've got a load of stuff about I mean I think when I was looking at um, Matt pulled the, the, the points together uh, actually and when I was looking through them um, I was thinking like this is going to be like a public service announcement for people going back to work. There's going to be a lot to cover, but before we get into that, like, how do you feel the support that the UK and Scottish government have gave workers? Um, I mean, but just using the name of the organisation, Better Than Zero, it looks like zero-hour contracts. People have just been shafted particularly badly, but what's your opinion on... Um, the follow scheme, like how they've used the money. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of money printed and created and pumped into the economy. But, um, I, what's your opinion on that? So, I mean, the furlough, the furlough announcement when it came. I mean, it was a welcome announcement in the sense that it's it's better than it is in some other places, and it's sort of chiming pretty close to what it's like in some of the Nordic countries and stuff like that. But one of the one of the main issues with it is that it's employer led rather than employee led. Mm-hmm. So it's completely at the discretion of the employer whether they engage with the scheme or not. So you have a, a lot of 
or you have you have some well-meaning well-meaning businesses that have instantly furloughed their their workers and been supporting them throughout this process but you've also got other workplaces that could have easily furloughed their workers and have literally no excuse not to furlough their workers but are just refusing to do so so although the furlough arrangement was kind of was a welcome announcement um because the the impetus on it was placed on the on, on the employers it kind of left the employees with sort of less leverage to try and build anything against their employer but they were completely mm-hmm. at the beck and call of whatever their employer was saying to them so that's that's sort of left much space to be exploited by a lot of these uh, employers both over the furlough period, but also on the return to work as well. Hmm. I, I mean, I was, I'm, well, I'm still currently on the furlough. I don't have return dates or anything like that. And I think when you're talking about, you know, your initial involvement with Better Than Zero as a result of 2014, one of the reasons why I've asked you here is that I think we're back in one of these kind of watershed moments. And like, I've personally had questions about furlough and about, you know, the build-up to lockdown and what comes after them. I think this is probably going to be, you know, sort of quite useful to touch on. Like, why would a, why would an employer refuse to follow? I mean, I know I've seen um, content for Better Than Zero about how to get your employer to, you know, follow you um, several weeks into the, the sort of follow process. But, like, I don't get what the logic behind refusing to do it would be. Is there, like, an example you could use? I mean, like one of what, so one of the examples is a, a place called Short Term, who basically people who work for them were, were, were essentially apprentices working for BA, but are employed through Short Term, and um, these workers got together pretty early on in the process and says like, "What's the answer? How have we not been furloughed?" And the the, the company kept on saying, oh, we need to get, we need to understand what HMRC are saying in regards to the holiday pay. We need to see what HMRC are saying in regards to this and that and making excuses about maybe other costs that they would incur, even though it had been confirmed to them many times that a lot of the worries that they had were non-existent. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But they were really trying to sort of cover their own backs was their priority rather than protecting the, the workers. Um, so a lot of the concerns in which different employers have been bringing up were not, were not actually issues that, that, that presented themselves through furloughing, but it's, uh, it seems to be employers were very reluctant to take take a jump in case it meant that they had some costs that they were incurring down down the line. Um, a lot of the examples haven't necessarily been clear cut. Actually, we've not really understood ourselves why they've been refusing to do it because it just seems like a, an open goal. You know what I mean? Like your yeah your your workforce are there. You're you're unable to use them just now. There's a government opportunity to pay for pay for at least 80% of their wages, and yet you're still refusing to engage with it. We, we did slightly wonder whether it was about conditions of, over the other end, so whether they, they were worried about furloughing them now, and that meant that they had to bring them back onto similar conditions at the other end, and they were a bit reluctant to, to necessarily agree to that if they didn't know what was going to be happening over the, the coming months. But mm-hmm. uh, no employer has sort of laid it out in clear-cut terms to us the reason why they were refusing to do it, other than protecting their own back for reasons that were non-existent in my opinion. So am I right in saying that you the, the concern may have been that on the other side of furlough employers were concerned about having to bring people back on the same pain conditions that they had prior to furlough? I mean we don't have clear cut confirmation that that is the concerns but right. we, uh, w- like that that is what's kind of been inferred by some of the messages anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that concerns me. Um, I mean, it's one of the, in terms of my sort of follow experience, one of the big questions I've got is I've 
started to hear drip feeds and information for not just my, my own employer, but other people who are affected by the scheme as we look into this. Like, you know, the protection of their conditions. I mean, is there anything that you're aware of that says, you know, just because we've been furloughed, we're, you know, subject to renegotiation? Or is, are we entitled to actually dig our heels in and, and, you know, actually demand the conditions that we had previously? I mean, we would, we would definitely argue, and we are arguing um, that people should be demanding at least the same conditions when they return. But I suppose it works on a, a sort of case-by-case -case basis, depending on what people's initial contracts were in the first place. But um, it seems like a, a, a lot of the, the, the measures that have been brought in have been brought in at the discretion of employers without much actual protections for employees. Um, so, I mean, in some cases, the yeah, employers will be exploiting this to try and lower their conditions when they have no right to. Um, and in other cases, because the nature of precarious work and the contracts that are associated with it are, uh, are so flimsy in the first place that employers probably can take advantage of some of these conditions and, and, uh, and offer worse, worse conditions if, if the employees don't sort of gather together and work to oppose some of yeah. those situations. Mm. Why, why do you think the government took the decision not to pay people and to pay business? Um, I know that in America, would they get a $1,200 um, Direct deposit. I think. Direct deposit. Yeah, it was a check. I know that there's there's been concerns and there's been delays and and but they did do that. They did give every every person twelve hundred dollars. I think Canada did a similar sort of thing. Um, but in this country or in the UK, it seems to me well, th it seems to me that they've prioritised business over the individuals. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that their intentions were for business interests rather than worker interests. But I think in some senses it does make sense that they would do it, do it the way that they have. Um, in order to, like, any jobs that could be protected that, that would potentially have been lost over the last few months. Um, you know, I mean, like, the furlough, the furlough scheme has inevitably led to a lot of jobs being protected that, that, that would have been lost. Yeah. But I... I also think that the, the direct payout, now this is me just making sort of my own push towards this, but um, it seems like, well, I mean, like sick pay is so low in this country, um, universal credit is so low in this country that I think an immediate pivot from the government to, to drastically rise the amount of money that was sort of given to people in situations such as this, it would have maybe had a knock-on effect to people pushing for an increased sick pay and increased yeah. universal credit going forward. And they were mm. reluctant to reluctant to open that door um, if they could kind of try, and, try and keep things the way that they are just now, you know what I mean? For sure, like setting a dangerous precedent, but for them, yeah. <laughs> not for everybody, a good yeah. precedent for everybody else, but a dangerous precedent. I, mean, I think that they've already actually done that in a sense that they simplified the universal credit system. HMRC took follow applications for businesses like over a million businesses and paid out within a week. So they've they've actually they've done that by proxy, but whether or not people actually cotton onto that, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, it's okay for like us that are sitting watching these things with a keen eye on it to to be like, oh, we'll check this. But whether or yeah. not the average person notices that and takes advantage of that, like they would have had the government just put fifteen hundred quid or whatever into their bank straight away. Yeah, I think as well, like. When you look at, you know, I know we, we compare, you know, policy in the UK to America pretty regularly. You know, unemployment has skyrocketed um, in America with, you know, the, the, the personal payment um, in place where furlough has meant, as you say, a lot of the jobs here are protected. My concern with that, though, is, and I don't know if this is one you, you share, Tam, is that 
with four or five months of the year gone, there, I feel like there's a real chance that there's a number of companies out there that are potentially trading well and solvent, and that they're really just using the furlough scheme as a means to keep money in their you know employees' pockets, and that when furlough ends or when they start being asked to contribute 10 and 20% towards the furlough, if they're not having any underpenny in six months and still maybe incurred other costs like you know, offices and whatever else that we might see, you know, an actual major spike in unemployment here. Um, so I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Has the furlough just postponed the inevitable? I think I think there's definitely going to be cases where <coughs> furlough has just postponed uh, people losing their jobs. Um, I suppose some businesses will have maybe done this with the, the hope that there maybe other measures would be brought into place to, to sort of help employ. Uh, certain certain businesses back back in back into trading or opening up or whatever it is you know what i mean it's it's kind of different in a sector by sector basis um but i do i mean i, I would be lying if i said that i expected that we'd be able to protect all the jobs that have been furloughed just now um, we're already hearing some vague cases of people being told that they will be gone by the end of august or they'll be um they'll have some of their hours reduced or there's the beginnings of trying to offer new contracts or, or, or at least hint towards new contracts for some of these workers rather mm -hmm. than the terms in which they were previous on, previously on. So, I mean, I would, I would share your concern, but I'm also, I mean, I'm glad that a lot of these workers are on furlough because um, where the government should be stepping in, um, well, I mean, if they weren't on furlough, they would be on universal credit or sick pay, which is, you know, I mean, less than, less than yeah. £100 a week for all of these people. Um, so, I mean, my, my priority with, with Better Than Zero and Better Than Zero's priority is always to try and protect the workers first and foremost. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it is a concern, but um, I, I suppose the next few months will be really interesting in, in, in seeing this sort of unfold, especially mm -hmm. as different sectors open at different times. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of your experience with Better Than Zero, is there, do you believe there are steps that maybe, like for me, example, you know, I think that maybe there's the chance that I'm affected by some of this denying, are there steps that I can take just now that might protect me from the denying, or is it just going to have to be a case of wait and see at the minute? I mean, I, 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 we kind of treat each case on its on its own individual merit, but I mean, the, mm -hmm. the broad approach that we that we suggest to most people is just like get in contact with other people in the same situation as yourself, Get like, in terms of in your workplace. So get in contact with your fellow, fellow colleagues, um, Normally, we would suggest this face-to-face, -face, but obviously that's not necessarily um, possible at the minute. So we're, we're, we're suggesting that people get into get into WhatsApp groups with their, their fellow colleagues, sort of keep up to date with what what uh, the employer are telling the workers. You know what I mean? They might be telling some workers one thing and telling some workers another. So we suggest trying to get everybody who, like all the workers on the, on, on the sort of same page in terms of what, what's been accepted, uh, expected of them uh, in terms of coming back and sort of to maybe challenge some of the things that are being suggested to them. And then for those who are not necessarily as comfortable doing that sort of thing, like we, we urge people to get in contact with Better Than Zero and then we can go into that group chat with them and sort of help maybe make some suggestions or, or, or challenge some of the things that are, are, uh, are being suggested to them. Mm. I think what we'll do is, is we'll link up uh, at the end of the show, we'll give you an opportunity to share platforms and we'll put links in descriptions so that if anybody does want to get in touch with you guys, that they, they know where to go and find you and obviously we'll, we'll tag you in everything that we put out. Um, one of the things that's really interested me about this is that there's a potential that a lot of companies are going to accelerate like automation plans um, because they've had this opportunity 
to see. And there's a lot of companies that out there that have got like say retail, high street retail that they've maybe been in two minds whether or not to let go of as it make money and they've had this sort of gap. Do you think that that, that that type of acceleration is going to be like a rapid acceleration that people are going to come out a follow and find that, I mean, maybe that an automated system has took care of their job or like, how do you see that one going? I mean, like, I suppose that's already sort of a process that's been taking place. You're not sitting in your shopping center sure. uh, in your, in your shops, your Tesco's and whatnot. Um, I mean, I mean, it's a tough one because you, the, 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 problem, the problem with what's happened over the last few, few months is it's not created a whole load of problems in terms of precarious, works, uh, precarious work. It's exposed the problems in which have already existed. You know what I mean? Like yes. the, the low contracted work, the, the, the low access to hours or the sort of at the beck and call of the, of the employer in regards to how many hours you're going to get. Um, so, I mean, it's more the, the, the dynamic and the relationship between bosses and workers that is going to present itself as an issue rather than, um, than a, rather than necessarily like some jobs being gone and some, some jobs being uh, still there. I think, it's, uh, I think it's just brought, sort of brought into the forefront of everybody's mind sort of the nature of these jobs in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's a good book called Bullshit Jobs. And I think that there's a lot of technological, there's a lot of jobs out there that the technology exists that people don't need to do them, but they make the choice to almost force people into doing these jobs that they're not needed for simply to give people jobs and have jobs for people. Um, but I, I, I think that I, I would agree with you that potentially that this, this, this gap or the, this is literally just going to shine a light on the already issue of that that were probably not needed for a lot of the jobs that we do um, and when there's going to be a massive cost saving like whether it be rent or whatever like that then businesses are, are going to do that I mean that's the way that the market's set up really isn't it is that they maximise profit um, and I think it's just yeah. going to be another added thing on top of what we're already seeing what Matt was talking about that there's probably a lot of businesses out there that are running insolvent and then on the other side we've got a lot of businesses that are going to see a big massive cost cutting um, exercise happening um, and yeah. it, it just really just puts another pressure on workers really doesn't it? Yeah I mean the like the issue that you've raised there around automation is maybe like a kind of out with the scope of better than zero but I mean like it, it, that has to be tied in with conversations about for example, four-day working week but with no loss of pay, you know what I mean? People mm -hmm. working less but getting the same amount of money or questions about taxation of, of companies that are utilising automation and stuff like that. You know what I mean? These are not, not necessarily stuff that Better Than Zero campaigns don't really works to highlight, but, you know what I mean, it's part of a much broader uh, conversation about what the economy looks like going forward. Um, the STUC, so Better Than Zero is a campaign organised through the STUC, so the STUC do a lot of the more... Um, wider strategic thinking and discussions with government about what they want their economy to look like, what they think their economy to, could look like and what the trade unions think that they, the part that they can play in sort of discussing the economy going forward. Mm -hmm. I'd like to kind of hark back a wee bit because as we talked about, you know, notions of redundancy and whatever, we also touched on like conditions and when you were talking about better than zero, you were saying that, you know, people who are exposed to high risk, etc. I kind of feel now that we 
COVID-19 in the mix that we're all in that sort of precarious employment environment now, um, particularly in the build-up to lockdown. You know, I, I work in Glasgow City Centre. It become, you know, a, a, you know, more or less a ghost town um, as, as people kind of stepped away. I know we're now starting to bring ourselves back to, you know, work back to the town centre and all these types of things. But if people have concerns, so we've, we've seen things about PPE and the NHS and so on and so forth, like, would the people going back to, like, an office in the city centre or, you know, uh, Tesco's or, you know, whatever it is, what, what, what do they need to be concerned about here in terms of their protection from the precarity of this situation? Well, I mean, like... Like again, it, it kind of harks back to what I've been saying before about workers getting together before they've they've been asked to go back to work, or when they've just been asked to go back to work. And it's about sort of having a, a sort of a list of health and safety agreements in place between between the, the workers and the the workplace um, before people agree to go to go back. Um, for example, like STUC have been running a, a few different training sessions in regards to like sort of finding health and safety reps who will be available for places who don't necessarily have trade union structures who can help support with some of the health and safety recommendations for, for people going back to work. Okay. Um, the, 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 the issue with like the precarity that's like a sort of associated with with uh, like zero hour contracts, for example, like the main one of the main issues with zero hour contracts is not necessarily that you're not being given any hours. It's that you are unable to sort of plan your life or sort of have control of your life going forward. So you may be in a on a zero hour contract, but you're actually getting eight, 12, tw uh, 12 hours every week, and you're actually fine with eight to twelve hours. But when you're on a zero hour contract, you're then unable to sort of maybe raise concerns that you have with the workplace because you're you're in under fear that you are going to have your hours cut so it's not necessarily about not getting enough money in it's about that lack of control so that's why like our, our, our approach is always always based on a collective response you know what i mean so that nobody's being thrown under the under the bus for for yep. being the one to raise to raise okay. the issues um so, I mean, if, if someone has concerns about sort of some of the health and, health and safety conditions in which they're being asked to return to, I'm sure other people in the workplace will, will also have the same or similar concerns. So it's about sort of collectively working to challenge that to their employer so that they're not, one, not individually called out for being the one that raises the issue, but also so that the employer can see that this is a sort of collective response to the issues in which they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And on the flip well, side of that, you would... Stable employers themselves like open the forum on this, like actually listen to the concerns of your employees before making decisions. Yeah, I, like absolutely, it would be employers to engage with. Well, if 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 places have trade unions or if they have people within trade unions, engage with the trade unions that are talking about these specific issues. Engage with the SDUC's health and safety program that it's running and, and the red lines in which they've laid out for the safe return to work. You know what I mean? And and properly discuss with your employees not on an individual basis maybe on a collective basis giving people the opportunity to raise their concerns and not just demand that these are the, the, mm -hmm. the conditions that are laid out for the return to work so the employers definitely have a duty to to sort of pr properly discuss this with their employers and mm -hmm. not just make the decisions and then tell them what the decisions are because we're all mm -hmm. on uncharted territory here aren't we i mean there's going to be communication absolutely what, yeah. what, what were you meaning by red line 
So, I mean, like the STUC have had a, a, a number of uh, red lines in which they've like sort of suggested on the safe return to work. I'm just going to get them up here now because I don't actually know them off by heart. But um, how dare like, you? I'll, how how dare you use that name for reference? I'll get in trouble for that. But um, it's just along the lines of like adequate adequate PPE and uh, a, a well-established sort of test and trace program. Um, Sorry, let me just find some of them here. Maybe this bit is worth editing out. Aye, I'll do it. Don't worry, mate. <laughs> Adequate PPE is where, you know, focus a lot of the attention, particularly the day around, like, bars and restaurants and stuff like that mm-hmm. opening up. I've just now got this pure mental image of, like, people in hazmat suits pulling pints in Glasgow City Centre. So I've, uh, <laughs> I don't I, know how like, you I mean, maintain it, social distancing in such that's, way. That's what I was behind just, a city centre bar. I, I was going to raise that, the guys in Tesco and Lido and, and Aldi have been there since day one and their adequate PP seems to be a bit mm-hmm. of fucking hazard tape on the floor saying, this is what two metres looks like, guys. And you're like, right, I know what two metres looks like. I mean, no offence to the people that work there because they're doing their job and they're being guided by their management and by the company, but they're not distancing. The customers aren't distancing. Like, I think that, there needs to be something that gets people. I mean, in my opinion, the people that are working in Tesco should have masks on. They should be wearing masks. They should be, there should be something that physically shows that they're the employee and that you've not to approach them. I know that there was a lot of chat early on in the virus where they said that the, the mask isn't just about protection. It's an actual physical barrier that lets people know that you've not to be approached and it stops you from touching your face. And it had so many different multi-layered reasons why it would be good to wear a mask but it seems that the key workers have just been thrown back in in the deep end no PPE I mean if we can't get PPE for the NHS what chance of people that are about to go into Wotherspoons next Saturday or in two weeks what chance have they got do you know what I mean with the guy that runs that company I mean the SUC has raised concerns with the reduction of the two metre down to one metre um, already because there's not necessarily enough um, evidence to suggest that this we're, we're in anywhere near a place to to do yeah. that. You know, I mean, New, New Zealand is used as an example of well, they've done that, so so surely like we can be taking them by example. But their number of mm-hmm. cases are, is drastically lower than it is here. I, I think yeah. last I heard it was it was zero. Um, so it I mean, took a number of other effective steps that yeah, Britain didn't take as well. Very much so early on. Um, I mean, again, it kind of ties into the. I mean, we recognise that there's some some places where proper social distancing can't necessarily take place, but places that still need to remain open. Um, but, I mean, one of the STUC's campaigns over the last couple of weeks, and um, the GMB have done a, a, a part of this campaign as well, is like time to pay up for key workers. And it's about acknowledging the risk and the importance that, uh, of the role that these workers yep. uh, play and, and the risks that they've taken from going, from going to work and sort of uh, adequately paying them going £2 forward. an hour. Two pound an hour pay rise, or at least two pound an hour pay rise, yeah. I think, is the headline into it. Yeah, that was that was the the sort of main push of it. Was you know, I mean, like these people have sort of made sure that the the country has kept afloat over the last how many months? How many months is it now? Yeah, for three or four. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I I do hope that coming out the other end, that people like shop workers and 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 other 
there's a whole range of key workers that yeah. th- th- these people are, are, are sort of taken seriously um, by the workplace and by society going forward. And they've got that element of leverage to say, no, no, we, we won't accept these poor conditions anymore. We acknowledge that we are a fundamental part of keeping this country afloat and we deserve better conditions. And we put ourselves at risk to make sure that you could do this, that and the other over the last few months. I so, think Sorry, I was going to say, I think just in terms of distancing alone, like we've got um, the UK government's chief scientific officer saying today that, you know, the difference between one metre and two metre is the difference between some like 10 to 30% more likelihood of catching COVID. So, I mean, like, even the chief scientific advisors are going against what they're out there pushing. And I think the only people that can be negatively impacted by this are the people who are. And the process of going back to work and being told, right, it's all safe now, go back to normal. And I... We need I mean, to be in a position to actually fight it back against that. I mean, it's like, it's, it's definitely, I mean, this isn't me necessarily speaking for Britain Zero here, but it's definitely, a, it's definitely a protect the economy prior, um, over protecting people at this point. You know what I mean? Rather than dealing with the issues of which we've discussed earlier in regards to like um, hospitality industry struggling in a couple of months' time or people who have been on furlough losing their jobs, rather than addressing that fundamental issue, they've decided to speed up the return of the uh, the recovery of the economy and yeah. who knows whether that will draw us into a second wave or whether that will mean another lockdown i mean like your guess is as good as mine at this point exactly uh, if we had said to this time last year that we would have been in 12 weeks lockdown one year that you would have been like absolutely no chance um what what can I, what can somebody do let's just say that, that they're in the workplace and and i know people that i'm not going to name any names or name any companies but i know people that have been pretty much been forced to return to work before the government says that it's okay for their sector to be open um, and their management are saying to them basically we will go under if you don't come back so you need to come back or you won't have a job to come back to and when I've got one person in mind in particular who works in the, the motor industry and he was sending me pictures of his work and the sales guys were not distancing for the customers. They were in doing test drives. Some wild, wild stuff when you consider the situation that we're in. But what could a person do in that situation if they notice that their employee are not taking the relative PPE, they're not get the distancing guidelines in place, they're asking them to do stuff that could potentially put them at risk of infection? How do they go about did, is it just what you had said earlier that they need to just get together with everybody? But what happens if the people right. in the workplace are basically saying, I want my job, and they've got that fear that's been like driven into them by their bosses, and they're like, I don't right. want to get involved in what you're doing here because you're going to put as my well, job at risk? As well, right to refuse unsafe work, absolute. basically. I, can, we, can we say, no, I'm no, you know, a no-face repercussion or what? I mean, like, I, I mean... The, the definite priority would be contacting your fellow employees and trying to sort of collectively respond to it. I mean, a lot of a lot of people are talking about um, Section Forty Four, which is basically your right to uh, not not go into work um, if you don't feel it to be safe. But mm-hmm. it's it's although a lot of people are talking about it, it's 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 a it's a bit of a, a watery piece of legislation in the sense that it's hard to kind of pinned down when it can be used and when it can't be used like we can't ex- for example um, tell a, a collective group of employees to invoke section 44 so that they don't have to return to work but if you are in a condition where you definitely don't feel safe like you you do have some rights to say well I'm not going into work and I deserve to have my normal conditions protected and um, because this is something like because like employment issues and employment law and, and all this stuff is sort of 
it's affecting so many people right now. Like how that will play out, I can't necessarily tell you. You know what yeah. I mean? If someone refuses to go to work but demands that they get their full pay, like yes, there is sort of legislation in, in place to protect that, but how that will look and how that will actually affect people getting their wages and stuff like that, I can't necessarily tell you. That's why we always harp back to the collective response so that it's, you know, I mean, that is a, a solid concrete thing that you can do regardless of what legislation is or regardless of what courts or what unions are going to support you or, or, yeah. or what have you. Um, so, I mean, there is legislation in place to protect people who don't, who don't feel um, safe returning to work. It's just about how that would be in, will be invoked, uh, I, I, you know, I mean, can't necessarily tell you. Mm -hmm. In terms of legislation, just because we've touched on that, like, is there legislation that Better Than Zero would like to see come in or changes to legislation that you'd like to see to protect workers in the wake of this? Well, I mean, like, we, we've been... It's basically just elevated, to, again, the things that we've been, been talking about for a long time. So, I mean, like, there different industries there's different things that we, we, we would like to bring in, in into place but I mean the the Unite Hospitalities uh, sort of Fair Hospitality Charter is sort of what we harp back to in, in regards to uh, hospitality work sort of things that that includes is like a real living wage rather than the minimum wage um, equal pay for all workers not dependent on your age um, paid transport home past 11 o'clock um, minimum hour contracts um, sort of these sort of things and with minimum hour contracts with trade union access and with sort of a bit more rights in your workplace it gives you sort of more ability to sort of challenge some of the things that are happening in your workplace you know what I mean if you if you're on a, a contract that has eight hours and that's how many hours you want and you you know that you have the right to trade union representation then you're more likely to raise issues with health and safety things that are happening in your workplace yeah. or with sort of things that you don't feel comfortable with but because people are feeling or because people are genuinely so precarious in their workplace it means that they're less likely to bring up some of the issues whether that be ppe stuff whether that be other health and safety issues you know what i mean so it kind of still chimes back to the stuff that we would bring up before and it's about having like adequate representation within workplaces and sort of leverage to be able to challenge some of the things that are being offered to you and is there anything on the horizon, either UK or Scottish, that is looking like that they're going to do better protection or better rights for workers? Well, I mean, depending on the Tory, the Tory government to sort of do anything in support of workers is not something that I can kind of hold that yeah. much hope in. Um, I mean, the Scottish government do... They do talk a good game in regards to, 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 to fair work stuff, and they do do... They don't do any work in terms of supporting workers, but I mean there were there was the, there was a, a couple of votes in Parliament a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you've seen, um, but uh, Neil Finlay uh, put forward um, an amendment to the coronavirus bill to suggest that all public sector contracts should get paid at least the the living wage rather than the minimum or the minimum wage, and yep. that um, workers in the care sector should have the opportunity uh, for collective bargaining. Um, I can go into what that is a bit in, in a second, yeah. but both those, both those like both those proposals were, were voted down by the Scottish government. You know what I mean? So there are clear examples there of what what, what the Scottish government could have done to 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 support care workers or or, or, or workers on the on, on public public sector contracts, and 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 they haven't done so. Yeah. Um, so I mean, 
yeah, the Scottish government could be doing could be doing could be doing more to sort of support workers in these sort of situations already. Um, a lot of employment law is is set UK wide, but that doesn't mean that the Scottish government can either be topping up or 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 helping support the causes in which we are raising and other trade unions are are, are raising on these particular issues. Yeah, and it's a bit hypocritical to have an avalanche of videos and pictures of Scottish ministers applauding the steps of their house for the NHS while simultaneously refusing to pay them a living wage, you know what I mean, by their own national standards. So I they definitely need to call on that one. Yeah. Um, I was just going to give an example. I don't know if you want to introduce, yeah, yeah. introduce it. But um, there was an example at the at the start of the, the coronavirus uh, pandemic. I don't even know what we're calling it now. But... Um, <laughs> where uh, workers at, at Pure, which is like a beautician's um, yeah. place, uh, they have, have places in Silverburn, I think it's an Edinburgh-based company, but they have, they have places all over all over Scotland. And it was it was sort of prior to, or round about the time that the furlough uh, arrangement was being laid out, but it wasn't kind of explicit exactly what it would look like. And what the the management at Pure did to the, to the workers there was basically says, you're either losing your job now, or you're accepting, um, you're accepting zero-hour contracts going forward because we don't know what it's going to look like going forward. And basically, the workers were then put in a position where they says, where they says, like you're either losing your job or you're coming back to a hell of a lot worse conditions than you're on currently. So the workers got together and said, like, no, we're not going to accept this. We're in communication. We're better than zero. The the workplace then threatened the workers that said that they, they could get done for liable because they were bothering to contact the trade union to try and challenge some of these conditions. Which is of course nonsense. You know, what I mean, like yep. trade unions are protected. Uh, you're allowed to. You're allowed to be a trade unionist for now, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where we go. I will see what happens by the time this goes out next week. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but, work, but working working with those uh, employees, they 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 held strong. They they challenged that, and um, both from doing it publicly to sort of draw attention to what Pure was trying to do to them and just from sort of remaining collective and, and none of them sort of um, just caving and accepting those conditions. The workers ended up on 100% of their wages for the first, I think it was for the first two months with then 80% going forward afterwards. So, I mean, there's a, a clear-cut example of um, workers being, being told that they were going to have terrible conditions, but actually have ended up with better than what the furlough uh, arrangement was at its most basic level because they collectively got together um, and, and challenged it both publicly and internally at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing and it's probably important that we underline it a few times here is that no matter what conditions people are faced with, no matter what their contracts or where they're working like, if they feel that there's undue pressure being applied in any sense that they band together and that they actually stick together. Mm-hmm. One thing I've probably not mentioned enough is that, like, what workers should join their trade union that is like a, like affiliated or, or that works in the sector in which they are. Mm-hmm. I, I won't go through them all just yeah. now, but I mean, there's a there's a, a useful tool online which I can I can highlight, or people can get in contact with Better Than Zero and sort of seeking some of that support. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a lot of people view trade unions uh, in in the sort of a servicing model in the sense that they they join the trade union in the same way that they would enjoy, join an insurance company, and then when their issues uh, present themselves, then they they call on the trade union to to sort of help back them up. But I mean, mm. Baron Zero's approach is a lot more about organising workers and, and getting people to join trade unions and sort of um, 
sort of hammering home that idea that the trade union is the is its members it is the members in the workplace you know what i mean and it's just sort of giving you an element of security and and, and leverage to 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 discuss the issues in which you're experiencing to pose them back to management so i mean that's something that we've we've really wanted to reiterate is yes people should join their trade unions um whatever the one would be for your workplace but that shouldn't yeah. be the end point that should be the start point of you starting to build something um within your workplace and then further down the line yeah you might have representatives that, that, that negotiate with employers in regards to contract conditions and stuff like that but um it is very much about sort of starting the idea that you are a collective um it shouldn't just spring up in bad conditions it could uh, like places that are, are great workplaces to work should have trade unions as well it's not just to 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 challenge the, the poor working conditions but it's actually should be embedded into the to the view of work you know what i mean to the view mm-hmm. of you are a collective and the 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 workers that are working there are what what makes the the company or the business or whatever like viable in the first place and can i mean does a, a union need to be recognised by an employer to make a difference? Do we need permission? How does how does that work? If you're in an, a work environment now that's currently not unionised, but you're feeling that the issues that you're raising are not being addressed effectively, you you band together and you think the natural next step is to unionise. Are there hurdles that need to be jumped that people need to know about, or is it something that they can get in touch with somebody like Better Than Zero and they begin that dialogue? I mean, it's uh, like it's not it's not plain sailing in terms of like creating unions, but I mean, there's there's very few. I would say none, but I'll say very few um, employers that would sort of recognise a trade union without any pressure to do so. So mm-hmm. I mean, like if your if your workplace isn't doesn't have a recognised trade union or has no sort of inclination towards engaging with trade unions, like the only way it's going to do that is by you collectively joining a trade union and imposing that to the management. Um, now, different workplaces have different situations. It's, it makes a difference of whether it's a smaller workplace or a bigger workplace. But, I mean, unions will back you up, especially the more numbers that you have within a mm-hmm. workplace, even if you aren't recognised within your workplace. Yeah. Like Unite Hospitality are still, um, for example, just now representing workers who are uh, who are in workplaces that aren't aren't necessarily recognised. Uh, Unite Hospitality isn't necessarily recognised as the trade union for the workplace. Right. So, uh, I mean, being in a recognised trade union is helpful in, in regards to like contract negotiations and other stuff that that can take place. But okay. I mean, if if we view trade unions as being its members, then um, its members being in the trade union will get that backing from 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 the trade union, whether they're recognised or not. Good to know. Yeah, man. For some reason, I was always under the impression that it had to be recognised. You know, I'm a big advocate of unions. I've made use of them and been a member all throughout my, my sort of career. And, um, yeah, but I've always worked with unions that have worked closely with my employer. And I've always just assumed that that permission was required. So it's good mm-hmm. to know that a union can still be effective and advocate for your group even if your employer doesn't recognise them. Yeah, I think there was the instance of all the ASDA workers, weren't there, going and joining the GMB and the, just before all this hit, I suppose, and that was going on. So that in, in that, I don't think that was a recognised trade union within like ASDA or Walmart group or whatever yeah. like that. Um, we were talking earlier on about like the acceleration of like, companies changing the way they work. I think that we've spoken in previous episodes about like homeworking. Um, it will suit some people, it won't suit a lot of others. Um, I think like 
What, so if, if somebody's employer turns around and says to them, right, we're changing it and you need to work from home from now, is there anything that they can do about that, um, first of all? And like, what are the types of things that people need to consider when they do start to work from home? Well, I mean, like, there's different different employers sort of take their approach towards working from home differently. Now, Better Than Zero, because of the nature of the work that it does, being predominantly hospitality, care, and sort of service work, a lot of that isn't really done from home. So we don't we don't necessarily deal with like homeworkers all that often. Mm-hmm. But there's agree- agreements can be made between groups of workers and 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 employers in regards to what the expectations are from home working. Um, for example, like my, my employer, so I'm, I'm employed for the STUC, and we get a we get a monthly a, a monthly payment because we're being forced to work work from home right now to sort of top up our, our, our wages. It's not massive, but I mean, you know, I mean, it, like it makes a difference in regards to the, yeah. the costs that you would incur from, from yeah, home working. That was something that the, the very start of this I didn't even consider until somebody said to me, "Yeah, but your employer's pushing their overheads for the office." Because we were talking about how why would a business set up the infrastructure or get people phones and laptops to work from home and then just instantly go back to normal. That seemed a bit strange. They're definitely not going to do that. Um, but then somebody mentioned to me that they're just pushing the overhead of their office into your electricity bill and into like the, the, the different yeah, costs that come. Yeah, it's just phone usage. Mm-hmm. Even just like being at house and eating, you know, instead of taking back, you know, millions, oh, no millions, but like there are a lot of considerations on that front. Yeah, and I mean, also it's like people's home conditions might not necessarily be, like people might have caring responsibilities, especially now that schools are shut, or people might have elderly relatives that they have to look out for. So, I mean, it's, I mean, it's definitely a case-by-case basis, but just because you are contracted to work, for example, 35 hours and you're working at home but you have other responsibilities that you, you should you have to deal with, that doesn't mean that you need to extend the amount of hours that you're working. Now, I know a lot of people feel that they automatically need to get as much work done as they would done in the workplace, so they end up working extra hours into the evening to cover work that they couldn't quite do during the day. Now, we would definitely like advise against that, you know what I mean? Like The conditions in which you've been forced into, if your work's hampered by whatever situation in your like that's just something that your work's going to have to deal with now in terms of like how you challenge that again that's it's done on a case-by-case basis it's done whether you have a that line of communication with your workplace whether you have a a recognized trade union or whether you have a collective already there sort of posing these questions back to the to the employer but i mean it's it's you definitely aren't in the debt of your employer to because you have you know, I mean, because you have a child that you have to deal with or because you have extra care and responsibilities, you still have the right to have a free evening or, a, you know, I mean, time off and, and this, that and the other. Yeah. Um, and that's that's not your fault, you know what I mean? Like we're Absolutely. A pandemic, you know what I mean? I think that this might be an, an, an important sort of uh, point to talk about is, is the, um, the potential that schools will be going back at half capacity um, closing on Wednesdays for deep cleans. Some kids going on Monday, Tuesday, and then they won't be the same kids that go on Thursday, Friday. Like, um, what kind of rights do people have if these school uh, conditions and situations impact their ability to go and work? Um, do they have anything that they can take to their employer? Like, wh- where do they stand? I mean, if you, if, if if an employer was trying to sort of 
challenge an employee's ability to do certain parts of work because of external situations and that's definitely something that would be raised with a trade union and something that could be challenged again mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very much on a, on a case-by-case basis and legislation mm-hmm. is is kind of kind of thin on regards to trade union rights and sort of workplace rights in general um but like if there were if there were issues um, in regards to like you you weren't able to work a certain day because you you couldn't take your kid into school like that mm-hmm. is definitely something that we should like we would recommend that you challenge and you, you either get in touch with us or or with other workers to to challenge think, as well i think Not that's one of the ones i sorry i think that's one of the ones i'd like to see government be a bit more proactive on because there are tens of millions of kids up and in the country that are affected by this and obviously you know all their parents are going to be in a similar boat and as i was and the build-up to this, I feel like a lot of what we've done, just through the nature of the situation we're in, I mean, it has been pretty reactive. There's been a lot of reaction to, you know, various steps of going in and coming out of lockdown. I don't see us being massively proactive on a lot of stuff um, or, you know, important stuff like this because this childcare issue is something that's going to affect workers for what I'm doing in the country. And I think, you know, I would like to see either the UK or Scottish government step in and say, in the scenario where you are forced to choose between childcare or, you know, elderly care and work, here are, you know, the guidelines that we like you to abide by. You know what I mean? I think that's one that's probably, you know, as a complex issue, but I think you could set out guidelines for people to abide by as a part of the easing of lockdown measures. Yeah, I mean, like, I even know within my own workplace, like, and deal with better than zero stuff, that, yeah, the first the first few weeks and and months were mostly firefighting mostly reactive um, and we've had to sort of adjust how we're planning on taking stuff forward but that's why we are sort of what well, we're adapting we do so Bernsey does a lot of like workplace representation and sort of help them collectivize uh, workers but we also do a lot on the on the training end of things as well you know I mean we, we provide different training and um, whether that be like basic training in terms of like how to start the conversations with people in your workplace and in terms of how to start having a union um, but we we also are realizing that there's going to be new issues that present itself uh, present themselves over the, the future like weeks and months. So we're going to be running a, we're going to be running a whole load of different sort of both through the STUC and through Better Than Zero. We're going to be running a whole load of different training um, sessions in regards to sort of challenging some of these things, whether that be um, how to unionize your workplace or whether that be how to sort of uh, ensure that the Every, like whether that be training someone up to be a health and safety rep so that they can adequately spot the issues in their workplace or whether that be how to um, contact the media about certain things that the Scottish government are doing that they, that, um, that are impacting them that the Scottish government is sort of ignoring. You know what I mean? So we've sort of had to adapt our, and realise that there's going to be what, what previously would have been kind of maybe, maybe smaller issues are going to be sort of highlighted and that people need to have the tools to be able to challenge some of this stuff. Cool. In terms of the homework, like I actually do a bit of health and safety as part of my job, and I know that like health and safety is one of the biggest, you know, things that we can thank, you know, union movements for all across the world. Like as we shift towards like homeworking, especially at a time when we're faced with a massive public health crisis, like how do we how do we ensure that we don't go back on you know those gains i mean it's one of the main issues that i see and from a health and safety perspective is the mental health issues of working from home you know i mean like i mean yes i can even speak from a 
like from a personal perspective like i know that i'm being supported by my work but still i i know that like the feeling locked in here and not having much to do and and um like the 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 way in which you you you're working in the place where you're supposed to enjoy yourself it, it just it yeah. kind of blurs the line between work and and, and uh, I found it quite interesting home life yeah very much so especially when like the chair that I work on is right next to the the chair that I play the PlayStation on you know what I mean like <laughs> um, so, so so I mean I think like I mean I think trade unions are doing a doing a good job at um providing sort of mental health training but I think that's something that we can um further embed into the nature of like health and safety reps or health and safety training the sort of telltale signs for for mental health issues and also like the tips in which people uh the tips in which people and also employers could sort of utilize to to sort of alleviate some of the concerns that that come up or, or help work on some of the concerns that, that come up from homework and um it's i mean like although like the government have a job to do but Trade unions have a job to do as well in terms of adapting to this this new reality in which we live in. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we, if the numbers are believed, I think America currently what just just under ten percent on the unemployment. It's maybe went over that, has it? Um, and potentially they're talking about maybe fourteen, fifteen percent. If we go the same way, that's that's a, a mammoth number of people. Um, I don't know if you have an opinion on this, but. What do you think are the sectors that are going to thrive post COVID nineteen? Yeah, like what sectors do you think are going to thrive? Um, and if people were thinking about if they're made redundant or whatever, and they're thinking about going and getting some sort of training, like where, where are the, the sort of good bets to go? So I think uh, digital tools have been one of the one of the things that have really come through over the last couple of months. You know, what I mean, that people's ability to sort of engage with social media or graphic design or sort of like this side of things. Um, so I mean I think like digital work is something that 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 will 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 thrive going forward, um, but I also think that like employment employment numbers don't necessarily always tell the full story of where where an economy is at. Um, like the Tories over the last years have have, have talked about the unemployment figures going down and down and down, but mm-hmm. that ignores the fact that a large number of these jobs have been are either bogus self employment jobs or whether they're low low paid jobs or like zero hour contract jobs, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the picture that's, that, that talks about large levels of employment sort of uh, washes over the fact that a lot of these jobs that have been created have been to the detriment of actually good working conditions in the first place. Um, I mean, like, I'm not like, I don't want the Tories to do bad just because I don't like the Tories. You know what I mean? I want a, I want an economy to be thriving. I want people to have good working conditions at the other end. But I'm hoping that it doesn't mean that more workers are going to be on agency work and more workers are going to be in these sort of zero-hour contract jobs. But we actually head-on challenge the, the conditions which have existed for a number of years and sort of acknowledge their place in the new economy i think it is a a bit much bigger conversation than just sort of organizing within workplaces but actually fundamentally what we view the purpose of our economy and the the work that we do as a country um i mean like covid has come up this time but like i mean we have we have like a climate change disaster just around the corner you know i mean like we 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 do fundamentally start having to ask these questions about how we how we green our economy how we actually um 
I mean, I would bring things back into ownership so that they exist for the, the benefit of, of the public rather than for the uh, profits of, of businesses, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what we should be doing is utilizing this, and I'm not necessarily saying that this is what's happening, but what should be happening is this time where we've sort of had uh, the opportunity to reflect on where we're at should be used to sort of envision what the economy and what the jobs market and what have you looks like going forward. Um, and hopefully that spurs that conversation on quicker than it seemed to be happening otherwise. Definitely. Mm -hmm. We definitely need to look to do everything we can to stop this potential race to the bottom that we see on the other side of this, um, especially when you've got, you know, guys that look at the Victorian age with pure doy eyes, you know what I mean? Like, um, and I think, like you say, it's it's no COVID and the, you know, scenario we find ourselves in, no, it has no brought new issues to the fore. It's no brought new issues in terms of employment to the fore. It's shown us what issues were already there with employment, just the same as it's shown us what issues were already there with the health service yeah. and the economy and all these other things. So I, I'm definitely in that respect. Absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, I think we've covered everything, do you think, Mark? And it's been a, there, just, just over an hour. So do you want to just tell people where they can get in touch with um, sort of better than zero STUC um, and like any general information that you can get on unions. Um, so I mean the the STUC's website is a good is a good place to sort of start for basic information. But if people have like specific questions in which they want to ask, then just get in contact with better than zero. Now we we normally get folk to get in contact with us via the Facebook page just because it seems like the most easy for people to engage with. Mm -hmm. um, so just just search better than zero on on, on Facebook and drop us a message there. Uh, but we do also have an email address which is better than zero at stuc.org.uk. Um, so if you just drop any any messages in there um, and uh, we'll get back to you. And if that's just a simple question of I work in this workplace, what union represents me, or 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 what have you? Because I realise a lot of this stuff is is alien to a lot of people. A lot yeah. of people within the, the the trade union movement maybe maybe overemphasize the amount of knowledge that people have on, on trade unions, whereas it was better than zero. It brought me into any of this knowledge in the first place. So, yeah, if, if, if you drop us a message with any of the stuff that you don't maybe quite understand or, or, or don't really know how to take forward, um, we can help point you, point you in the right direction there. Um, we also have a number of training sessions. So I, I'm not sure when this podcast goes out, but um, next Tuesday on the, on, on the 30th of June, we have, a, a sort of training session for um, for people based on a lot of what I've been discussing here and it's how to start the conversations with people in your workplace, how to sort of set your re your own uh, individual red lines um, about returning to work and how to sort of collectively sort of challenge some of the things that are being offered by your um, by your employers. So yeah, it's an online thing. Yeah, it's an online it's an online course. It's going to take place on Crowdcast. There's uh, details of it on our on our Facebook page. But we Certainly also imagine, yeah, we also imagine that. Yeah, you should should attend. Um, but we we also imagine that this is something that will need to take place going forward as well. So I don't imagine this will be the the only training that we're running of the same nature. We'll we'll if we, if there's appetite for it, we'll be doing doing more going forward. So yeah, just just get in contact with Better Than Zero um, via Facebook page or the email address that I said there. Um, that's great. So you can help. Point I, that's amazing. I think that's been a really important part of the message that we wanted to get out here. Is like I've always used unions when I've had health issues or 
you know, disciplinary or whatever else attendance issues at previous employers, but it would be very easy for folk to just see the union in that very sort of narrow prism when in actual fact at a time like this, probably one of the most effective weapons that workers could have to protect themselves and their rights. So I just want to thank you for coming on and, you know, explaining what you're doing and giving us that sort of overview of where we are and, and what folk can do to try and protect themselves and hopefully this will be the first of many of these types of conversations we have in the next few weeks with folk. No, thanks. Thanks very much for, for having me on and hopefully if it draws the attention of someone who doesn't necessarily know what to do but wants to challenge this stuff, then that'll be good to, for going forward. We're always wanting to not preach to the already converted, you know what I mean? Speak to people who, who want to challenge these things but don't necessarily know where to start. So I'm, I'm very happy to have the opportunity to speak to you today.
black and sea full of shuffling feet sky fire can't you see you can try but you won't break me <laughs>